I love working with these kids that are often falling through the gaps. So a lot of the kids that I'm dealing with currently are on the spectrum. So just getting the teachers to understand them and what makes them tick. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to 9 to 5 with Avi and Anita. Today on the podcast, we have Carly Dallard, who is a secondary teacher in Australia, and she is also a disability and inclusion leader at the school where she teaches. She has been teaching for around 20 years, so has a lot of experience under her belt. This is not relevant to her career, but she is also my cousin. And uh, it's a great, a lot of fun to have her on the podcast today, as um, we've been little besties as kids and great friends now for 41 years. So Carly, so good to have you on the show. And why don't we jump straight into the cues? Can you tell us whether or not where you are right now is intentional or has been unplanned? Look, I'm a high school teacher here in Chuka, Victoria. Um, I am, I guess, got a Bachelor of Education majoring in physical education. Course doesn't exist anymore, so I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, I've graduated back in early 2000s and here I am still now in Echuca and teaching. Um, I guess... Did I always want to be here? No, no. When I was in high school, I had these grand plans that I was going to be a physio and I was going to do it for a professional sports club and I was going to live my best life and be rich and famous. And then I looked at the marks and I didn't want to work really that hard and I decided to live my best life in high school instead and have some fun. So, um, yeah, that led me into teaching and PE teaching, I guess, which is some people would say a cruisy gig and most of the time, it is a fun gig to throw balls at kids' heads. I'm sure that's everyone, all anyone thinks that we do, particularly in a high school setting and just, you know, walk around in our active wear and kick the footy. But um, I guess, yeah, when I started teaching, I didn't think I'd end up where I am now, which is I'm a leading teacher. So sort of for those, I guess, who don't know the big, big system, there's the principals, then there's a leading teacher rung, and then you go to your teaching staff and different stages in between. So this year I've started a disability and inclusion leader role, which has sort of come out a bit of post-COVID, I guess. So I'm that bridge between um, the, the kids in the classroom that have special learning needs or need stuff and the teacher and how to support that person. So I work with the families and the kids and so far it's been chaos but it's been really enjoyable. So, yeah, t- 10 years ago, did I think I'd be working in this sort of profile setting? No, but I was doing some volunteer work with some um, disability groups here locally um, and I kind of thought I might have been an AP or a principal even by now, but then these little demons arrived and I've enjoyed the family time instead. So gone from a career-driven woman to probably trying to find that happy balance. So what a, you know, working in this new kind of role or having taken maybe a different path from what you thought, what are some of the things you really love about what you're doing now? I love working with these kids that are often falling through the gaps. So a lot of the kids that I'm dealing with currently are on the spectrum. So just getting the teachers to understand them and what makes them tick, get some, I guess, some work. And particularly um, for the social side of things for our autistic kids, getting back into a classroom or a school setting where there's 900 people and you've been sitting at home for two years off and on, it's hard. It's hard for these kids. So trying to tap into that and support the families and any allied health that's involved as well. It's been good. 
I guess my real passion ones are the little rabbits. Our ADHD or probably our trauma kids, I really thrive on supporting them. They've got a bit of a rougher journey that probably get branded by the general public that they're just naughty or, you know, making a choice, but there's a journey in the story to go with it and I find it really rewarding to see them unpack their journeys and have small wins and small wins lead to big wins. They can break the cycle in many instances. You mentioned you'd done a lot of volunteering work. How did you make the pivot to shift to this direction? Career already has been probably student management. Um, so I was doing a lot with, you know, the suspensions, the discipline and the uniform and all those sorts of things. And I uh, mid-COVID, I was getting a bit frustrated with the whole education system. I thought we were being too reactive rather than proactive and I wanted to make a difference. Before stuff went wrong for these kids, how can I help? you know, make that difference. And I guess, you know, when we all went to school, you didn't see people with, or, you know, you knew they were there, but they weren't labelled with autism or ADHD. They were branded. So I guess all this awareness and, you know, helping bridge that gap between a lot of their parents even to understand what their child's behaving like. But, yeah, I think COVID and just wanting to make it be a proactive difference rather than a reactive has really brought me about to where I am now. And what are some of the challenges or what are some of the things maybe you love a bit less about the system that you're working in? You know, it sounds like getting the kind of support these kids need would probably require a lot of advocacy and someone really fighting for them. And that's probably uh, the advocacy is a big thing. When you've got these amazing parents that would bend over backwards for their kids, it's amazing. So these parents will come in with these folders of all this evidence, documentation, anything you need, anything you want, and all these allied health OTs involved, speech therapists, paediatricians. But it's the ones that I guess may be caught up in a bit of a cycle themselves. They don't have the ability to do that, so they haven't got that strength behind them or that advocacy so it's you as a educator and I guess a mum too wanting to push and help them as best you can but when the parents themselves are struggling in that skill set that I don't think they'd be able to make a doctor's appointment themselves let alone fill out an NDIS application to get all the funding that their child needs that's probably a bit of a battle at the moment but it's post-COVID at the moment the kids are not coping with being in school. Everyone goes, oh, 2021 is going to be tough for these kids. I think it's not going to be until 2024 that the kids start to really level out. The Particularly we're finding, or finding, and it's not just my school, and I don't want to make out that we're, you know, having a bit of trouble. We are, but it's statewide. These year sixes that have come into year sevens, they've missed two years of school. You don't realise. You actually learn a lot in grade six, and I underestimated having those social cues, they've got no resilience, social connections. So a lot of violence at the moment and they're, you know, quick to go from naught to 100 and no resilience or they just refuse to come. The lack of respect, not just for us as teachers, probably even their parents. So all these social skills that these kids have missed out on, that's probably the part that I'm finding the most confronting at the moment. And the government are just saying, oh, yeah, we're throwing all this money at you for mental health supports, but... There's no legs on the ground. We're all burnt out, tired of teaching, you know, by the, no, I shouldn't say tired of teaching, but tired. We're all, you know, take seven days off of COVID. We've had our big, biggest weeks we had 15 staff members out in our, a school of our size and you've just got to pick up the gaps. You're not allowed to keep kids home. You get t- into trouble for that. So it's been that burnout, trying to get teachers because teachers are leaving the profession and I don't blame them. 
So it's be a bit of a chasing your tail. We've got all these wonderful things that are finally coming. Finally, mental health has been seen as a you know priority in our state education system, but there's just not the, the I guess the legs on the ground to get everything done and sooner rather than later. Mm. How do you look after yourself in that environment? Um, the, the short answer. There's a little green man that lives at Uncle Dan that I go visit. No, um, <laughs> everything in moderation. But I guess in lockdown or COVID, you know, 2021, I've missed out on playing my team sport. So I missed that connection. So I started running and I never thought I'd enjoy that. But that was just my 45 minutes, 50 minutes a day when we had the six of us in under one roof teaching, looking at a blank computer screen because the kids weren't putting their screens on when you're teaching as much, and it's hard to teach PE on a computer anyway. So that was good. I've, I've found my little thing to have some me time. Um, but we've also, you know, I've got a lovely supporting husband and two beautiful little girls that live with us here, as in our own children. I've got um, We've got custody of my two nieces that are 19 and 21 now, which is a bit frightening. Um, but we've got our caravan, so we spend a lot of time together and doing things like that. So, And I've got a pretty awesome extend, you know, extended but immediate family too. So we spend a lot of time together rewarding ourselves. So you do the hard yards and find that balance. But I guess that's, yeah, so okay. I'd love, love to say my Chad... Chad, my Chad, Mojave Chad, um, hates that I knit. So I guess that's it's a bit of a mindfulness and it drives him bonkers. So I don't know whether it's the mindfulness action of knitting or the fact that it annoys him that I enjoy it more. So <laughs> we'll see. I can't find it. We've moved house recently and I can't find my knitting box and I don't know Suspicious. whether it's miraculously gone <laughs> or it's just been stashed somewhere. Tell us a little bit about champions throughout your career. You mentioned that you were surprised to have found yourself in this role. Were the people who have been helping you um, make decisions and uh, look at the direction? Yeah, I, I guess when I first started teaching, I came across here to um, Ichuka. I started teaching elsewhere and relocated. I had a really proactive principal. So I was young and green and eager as, and he supported me took probably what some would have said at the time when I got my first leadership tenure a bit of a risk on me um I was eager willing to learn I had a good village around me I had some really supportive staff experienced staff so I went into that um well-being or management because my principal at the time was just willing to take a risk and he could see that I had a bit of get up and go in me and so he put power of training into me. I spent a lot of nights down at the Hilton in Melbourne, which was lovely, doing some training through um, with the department. And so I guess he's probably been my biggest advocate and I would still say he enjoys bumping into my grandfather and telling me that, so telling him that I should say. So that's nice. And I also worked with, um, she was an AP here at our school and has since moved on, but she was a changing career type person that came into teaching had a bit more life experience and but it was good fun. So I learned so much from her about how to balance my family life and as well as being a, a, you know, a professional and diligent about what I do and harnessing sometimes that enthusiasm and passion to make sure that what you're doing is do, you're doing it properly rather than trying to, you know, solve 15 things at once. Let's just, you know, rein that in. But even now, I'm in a really awesome team new principal that's recharged me as well um but my little disability and inclusion team 
we have lots of fun together. So that, I think that makes it good when we're all shared values and got the same idea of where we're ha- heading and what we're wanting to do for these kids it makes a world of difference, world of difference. Ali, you mentioned, you know, this um, AP who had come into teaching and also all of these people who are leaving teaching because it's such a kind of under-resourced profession um, or unsupported. How how do you see those movements of people? Like how do you, what do you think uh, the mindset is of someone who's decided to become a teacher late in their career or how do you see them differently? Tell us a little bit about that. It's hard. Like, and then those people that are seeing a big turnover in those staff, it's even, you know, straight out of university. So, you know, those 23, 24-year-olds getting in there going, oh, my gosh, what, what have I signed up for? And then some of these people that are coming in for career change that, you know, they might have been in, an engineer in a previous life and flipping over. I think we all come in with this, you know, idealistic view that we're going to shape these young adults and we're going to teach them the world and we're going to be a bit like what's his name you know Robin Williams in a mental blank on that dead poet society yeah yeah we're just going to change the world and it'll all be wonderful and then we you get stuck into it and you get bogged down in the paperwork the bureaucracy the union fights the public versus state system and as I said before, this mentality in some of our students at the moment that young adults, they're just disengaged from their own education. So I think, you know, it's all well and good and I don't know how we can support those and how can I can support those staff members better, but at the moment I'm not sure the system's set up to support them because we just, there's, you know, you know they're, at the moment there's this saying, oh, you know, all CRTs come back and you can have all this work or early retired teachers or pre-service teachers regionally that's not working it's there's no one available if you retire from teaching you retire who want, who'd want to come back and get sworn at or go through the hard yards and put yourself at risk of covid if you're later in your life but whereas in i don't know in melbourne they might be getting more pre-service teachers that are willing to do the hard yards but regionally we're really struggling across the board to get full-time ongoing decent teachers that are willing to stay in your community and put the, you know, put something back. Mm. I mentioned that there were grants and incentives that come up. For you in your career, have you negotiated salary or packages? How has money worked in terms of your uh, career progression? Money, it, I don't think you become a teacher to be money. Other, some people would say, oh, you know, teachers, you were all hard done by, we're hard done by, and yes. Here in Victoria, if I moved across the bridge, so a whole five kilometres to New South Wales, I'd probably be eligible for a $20,000 a year pay, pay rise. There's that much of a discrepancy from each side of the bridge. But teachers, we get paid well. With the, you know, we've got 12 weeks holiday. Yes, I give my holidays, a fair whack of my holidays to my craft, my teaching, doing planning and marking. But the money hasn't driven me. I think it's more for me those intrinsic rewards of seeing the kids all walking down. And, you know, today we rode our bikes down to the port here and saw a couple of my students serving at the ice creamery and saying hello. And it's that stuff that I enjoy. And as a teacher, you don't have the power to bargain that I'm going to have this, this is how much money I want. It'd be nice. Our union is useless. I don't, I'm a member, but I don't think they're, they've they've lost their power um but yeah I guess being a leading teacher that has the bonus of having a bit more of a pay than what you are in a normal classroom situation 
But for me now to jump up into an AP role, an assistant principal role, it's not that much of a pay pay rise. I think I'd end up bringing home $8 a week more as an assistant principal with gosh knows how much more of a workload added to it and the stress. Like as being a principal at this moment, at the moment, I don't know. Like You've got to love the, love the gig and I think my kids are a little bit too little at this point to be able to dedicate the time and energy that it needs to happen. In terms of your kind of long-term plan, it doesn't sound like you're leaving teaching anytime soon. Do you think um, maybe when your kids are older that being a principal is something you'd be interested in? Is it a flexible enough profession that you can kind of take a bit of time with the family now when they're young and then maybe accelerate a little bit later? Yeah, definitely. And I guess that's probably, you know, not that I look back and say that's why I chose teaching, but it's a transferable, yeah, definitely something down the track, you know, maybe not necessarily at my school. I might, I've been teaching at this, my current school now for 15 years, but it works. I mean, you know, my kids are here at school and everything else. So maybe once they get a little bit older and, you know, the idea of travelling, you know, 45 minutes outside of our town, um, maybe that, yeah, definitely. I haven't ruled it out, but at the current climate, I look at those, I walk past the principal's offices and I think, yeah, you poor buggers, you're here for a bit longer yet or they've got all the stress and all the worries coming from Melbourne and then, you know, dealing with families that might be upset or stuff and I just think, yeah, no, not at this point. But, yeah, I'm never going to say never because you just don't. But I'll win Tats Lotto and I'll be able to go to work for because I love it, not because I have to. Isn't that how it works? Wow. You've preempted one of my favourite questions, which is what would you do if you won Lotto? So you'd keep teaching? Um, I think I'd have to. I just love seeing the kids. Um, definitely I'd drop back the hours of, of work. Um, but I, you know, have this pipe dream that to do a wedding celebrancy course and do, you know, weddings and funerals. And my husband just laughs at me that thought, but I I think I've got to but I know enough people. I've taught enough of the district and connected and related to enough of the <laughs> people. But yeah, I, you know, I probably could do it in my spare time as a, a bit of a treat to myself as um, self care. But there's a glut of them at the moment in the industry, so I don't know how much whether it'd be worth it for me. But yeah, while Chad keeps laughing at me and not taking me quite so seriously yet, I think mm-hmm. I'll just sit, keep doing what I know best rather than and giving up my all, all my weekends to watch other people fall in love and get married. Is that what I say? <laughs> Is that the attraction, the romance? Oh, the romance, yeah, absolutely. No, it's going to be good fun, I think. Um, but even doing the funeral side of things, celebrating someone else's life, if I can keep, it, keep me emotions in tow, I think that's it's a really rewarding thing to celebrate that too. So, you know, I, I just love people, I guess. So, you know, I couldn't sit in an office if there wasn't the kids or there wasn't that people I'd go nutty and I think that's what hurt me COVID not being able to actually see my students in their whether it be in their hoodies or in their pajamas Mm. I didn't care if the to have a screen on was pretty awesome. What would you say to someone who was coming up the ranks either considering teaching or more generally just looking for advice on what next? Um Oh, if a graduate teacher coming in now, I'd say really take it slow. There's there'll be the pressure to take on extra roles, and you'll be so, you know they're excited, they're keen, they want to do things, they want to take you know take on the you know the production or coach teams, but just take it slow. Um, even just work that work life balance, master your craft, 
And I'm the first to admit, I'm not a, I don't believe I'm a great teacher. My, I don't think my craft is anything to write home about. I'm a great teacher because I care and I'm enthusiastic and passionate about what I do and the kids that I teach. So I think there's a lot of, a lot of better teachers out there, but perhaps they don't have that humanistic side of things to, so I, I can get wonderful, I believe I can get wonderful things out of my students because they see my enthusiasm and my, wonderful sense of humor is what I say and that so I yeah I think just to take it slow if you can't coming in just find your feet and that first 18 months you you'll know you're alive and just let you enjoy self enjoy it mm. and do your kids come to you for advice about their careers your students yes yeah and what do you tell them look some of them definitely want to be teachers and you go yeah it'd be awesome but a lot of them go I just couldn't be spoken to like that I couldn't deal with that I couldn't thought you know bear coming to school every day again and I said, but a teacher you know we're a bit of a methodical people we like to have routine we like we're our list you know there's a spe- you've got to be a specific type of personality to come in but yeah definitely for a lot of those kids too that I really enjoy hanging with being that career pathway mentor is the fun part helping them you know investigate how to break the cycle or whether it you know if they leave school early so be it but are they going to a meaningful pathway rather than fall falling through the cracks so yeah I think that's probably one of the, as a high school teacher that's one of the really rewarding things to see students that have found their feet and bump into them and go oh this is awesome you know because it's great seeing what you've where you've gotten to and how you know the journey to get there so to speak that's it. Even now in my mum's group when I had kids, I taught some of those girls that are in there and now our kids are friends. So, yeah. Community. Sounds like a nice community. I'm very spoiled around here. I am very spoiled. Okay, it's time for the lightning round. And the first question is, what would be your last meal? Ooh. Oh, that's a really hard one, but I think I'd have to go roast pork with all the trimmings. Mm. And make and quality crackle, quality crackle. delicious, quality crackle. Or, or would it be? Or would it be some sort of Asian? Oh, I don't know. You know, I think I'll go roast pork. <laughs> what are you uh, watching right now? I'm a uh, late to the scene, but Yellowstone is my little bit of self care at the moment. Um, Chad thinks that's he's been watching over my shoulder, going, "Oh, that looks stupid." But yeah, Yellowstone, it's Sons of Anarchy on horses is what I've described it to him as. So that sounds amazing. <laughs> reading blank um it's just been made into a movie reese with a spoon um i'd have to go get it from beside my bed uh mississippi around the west she's a little homeless girl mum and dad dad's oh. there crawdads where the crawdads sing no yeah yes yeah. So where the crawdads sing yep so this will be my these holidays will be my third crack <laughs> at it i tried tried last time i went in the caravan and then i tried when we had covid and so, yeah, mm. kids don't let, don't see you and allow you to read books. Mm. And what are you listening to right now? Unfortunately, too much Bluey. Oh, I shouldn't say that. I love Bluey. Bluey's amazing. Um, you know, I'm, <laughs> I couldn't really tell you the last thing that I really listened to. I've it on the radio and I don't get to control it anymore. I'm officially in that phase where the six-year-old wants to <laughs> control and dominate. Although I've been running to an, a 90s playlist at the moment, having a bit of a flashback to the day, good old days when, and I think, oh, God, that was awful and I love that song. But anyway, 
So probably a bit of a flashback city. That's fantastic. <laughs> I listened to Powderfinger yesterday. I don't know why. It was such a random oh. throwback. Oh, yeah, I love Powderfinger. There, that takes me back to yeah, – yeah, it was um, – what's her name? Barbie girl, Barbie. Um, oh, my God. Oh, Aqua. That popped on today. I was like, oh, my gosh. And yeah, I think anyway. they had a dance routine it was to classic. Barbie girl. <laughs> I think we, we would pay to see that in each please, You could not please. pay me enough money <laughs> to reveal Thank that. goodness there was no iPhones and, you know, all that sort of stuff around back in the day. I think that that is so true of so much. No one needs the documentation of those years at all. Oh, Absolutely, absolutely. I think these poor kids. No wonder they're they're so they're socially inept because they don't have any chance just to be themselves. Is your favourite thing to do to unwind? Um, probably spending time with my little piglets and my family. So going to do something nice today. We rode down and had an ice cream, or go visit the fam, or play with the nephews. So family time for me is my favourite thing, the house housework and all that other stuff that can all wait. But when we do something together and go for a little adventures and stuff, so which hopefully we'll have a couple more of in the next coming week. Anita, that'll be yes. good. Well, being biased, I can say that your family are quite good to hang out with. So... Um. <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, it will be good. Yeah, no, that's probably my things. Hanging out and doing their dad's, um, my dad's crook at the moment. He's uh, on the tail end of chemo. So it pretty brings that to the forefront that hanging out with your family and spending some time together is pretty bloody awesome and you're very lucky. Well, that sounds like basically a very apt wrap-up to what's important in life and for us on the podcast. Thanks so much, Carly, for coming on. It's uh, been fantastic to hear more about your career and teaching and the challenges and all the wonderful stuff. No, I really appreciate that. Anyway, you know, I don't want to turn people off becoming a teacher. It's really rewarding, but yeah, a bit like a lot of other careers, it's in it. we're in a bit of a tough spot at the moment, but we'll all bounce back. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Once again, massive thanks, Carly, and thank you, listeners, for joining That was episode number five. So there's four more waiting in case you haven't been following since uh, the launch of season two. Don't hesitate to jump in and go through the back catalogue. And shout out actually to season one because there were some amazing conversations uh, throughout. I would say they were all amazing, actually. So like, share, give us a review. Tell us what you think, what you love and what you like a little bit less, as we tend to say in the podcast. Uh, And we look forward to chatting with you next week.